Let's pray together for a moment. Lord, you who created us for your glory and who looked at that creation and found it good, you who redeemed us in your mercy by your blood so that through your grace, you could look at us and find us good. We thank you and we ask that your spirit would guide us, speak through us, speak to us. May all that we say give you glory and may we be changed by your word, amen. amen. We started our first session today talking about our identity, who we are in Christ. And we start there because as women, perhaps one of the most severe attacks on our possibilities as godly women is mistaken identity, not understanding who we are. And I will not go back through that session, but we concluded, at least part of our conclusion was that as God's children, as his daughters, we can operate with confidence. We can be princesses with the attitude. The attitude that our worth is determined not only by who God is, but who God says we are. By the fact that he made us, he redeemed us, we are born and adopted into his family and our inheritance is in him. And we argued that there were five different issues that women struggle with on the way to being or in the process of being godly women. Identity was one of them. Relationship and role is another, or another two. And then we also talked about appearance and success. In this session, we want to talk about relationships and roles. And in the last session, we're going to talk about appearance and success. So those of you who came to hear about clothing, that's the next session. But that's okay. We'll do the men first. Somehow they tend to get higher on our agendas anyway. What does it mean to say that God created us in his image and he created us for relationship? What does Genesis tell us about the relationship between men and women from the beginning? It was not good for man to be alone. What does that mean? We need a relationship. Yeah, God knew. He, when God made Adam, God said, what? They wanted to make a man because God wanted somebody that he was going to be in relationship with. Man was created to be in relationship with God, yes? And then God decided man needed to be in relationship with another human. And he created Eve, and the relationship goes three ways. And I have this picture of the three of them in the garden. And um, the pastor did such an excellent, excellent job on Friday night, I hope you didn't miss it, of talking about the ways in which Eden reflected part of heaven. It, the ways in which Eden was heaven literally on earth. And in the heaven and on earth that was Eden, how did the humans relate to each other? 
Do you remember? Is there anything that you know about Genesis, about how Adam and Eve related to each other before the fall? What do you know? They weren't separated very often. They enjoyed being in each other's company. What else do you know? She was made a helpmeet for him. And he had the job of watching over everything, taking care of the garden. Who named Eve? What else did Adam name? Does that mean Eve was an animal? Can you make that connection? No. <laughs> but what does it suggest? That Adam was put in the garden in charge. In the beginning, Adam was put in the garden in charge. Do we notice that that was a problem before sin? Some of you, some of you are struggling. You're trying to remember. We have no indication that there was a problem with that before sin. But what is the first thing that happens after sin? When God comes to the garden, who does he call? Who messed up? Eve messed up, and then Adam messed up right behind her. Okay, Eve was the one who went to the tree. But when God comes to the garden, God calls? Why? And what does Adam say? Eve did it. <laughs> now, now, I want you to get that. I want you to get that, okay? God comes to the garden and he says to Adam, you know what, Adam, I left you in charge. What's going on? I said, woman. <laughs> and then what does the woman say? The serpent. the serpent. And already people are pointing fingers and the system stops working. I want you to see that that it was after sin that the system stopped working. In God's original system, Adam and Eve were doing just fine. The fact that Adam named her, the fact that Adam was in charge, that God called Adam first, was not a problem. I'm going to talk about that a little later and why that was not a problem and why it's been a problem ever since. But in the beginning, it was not a problem. What does God say after sin about the man and the woman? Go to Genesis. Y'all looking at me like you didn't read it. Go to Genesis. Because they're looking at me like, I mean, beautiful faces, wonderful faces, as blank as all get out. Go back to Genesis. What happens after sin? Eve sins, God talks to Adam, they try to hide, they, you know, put on the clothes and, you know, all of that. And then what happens? What does God say? He put a curse on them. What, what was the specific curse? He had to work. And she had to be submissive. Was that what it was? Her desire was to be unto her husband. What does that mean? Well, the interesting thing about it is 
That same word desire is used elsewhere in scripture, talking about Cain. And it is not simply that your heart is to your husband, but also there's a struggle. And because we don't use desire in the same way, we don't get it. What God says is what has already happened I'm speaking on into what has already happened. Now we have a problem. What you were able to do, Adam, before, relatively painlessly, will no longer be like this. And where the two of you were working together in a complementary fashion, you're now going to have to struggle to make it work. And it was true. We have struggled ever since. We have struggled with each other. We have struggled with what our position ought to be. But before we talk more about the struggle, I want to talk a little bit about what being a princess, a daughter of God, means when you start thinking about men. And you know we started young. So don't try to tell me you're here and you haven't thought yet. Okay. And most of you are in college. I've been on college campuses long enough to know we said earlier that being a princess, being a child of God, meant, among other things, that because we have worth, because we were made in his image, we think, we reason, we make choices. And we bear responsibility for those choices. After the fall, did God give that away? Did he take it from the woman? No. There is no indication that at any point God said, now you are no longer made in my image. Okay. So we come as thinking, feeling individuals with hearts for relationship. Let me tell you some of the consequences of walking in God confidence when you think about men. You know there's a verse in the Bible that says, wait on the Lord. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Should I repeat that? Wait on the Lord. See, princesses who know that their father owns everything, who knows that their father will give them what they need, can wait joyfully. Do you need the word again? They can wait joyfully and peacefully. Amen. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. God tells us that he gives us the peace that passeth understanding. So when other women are worrying about whether or not there is a man for them, princesses wait joyfully and peacefully in the knowledge that God will provide what we need, which may or may not be a man. Did you get that? God will provide what you need. All that you need, but it may not be a man. What are you doing while you're waiting joyfully and peacefully? You're doing what God gave you to do. 
And I see nowhere in scripture where God gave me the job of looking for a man. If you have a verse, quote it now. So I can record it for the next session. But I've been looking for 20 something years, it's not there. Many of our struggles with men begin because we did not know how to wait. Some of you got here as freshmen. You've only been here five weeks, I think it is, and you're impatient already. Lord, he should have been at the door when I got here. (laughs) Calling my name with flowers. Did the Lord tell you that? What did he send you here for? He gave you something to do. Do it. Some of us would not have time to be so impatient if we were doing what God gave us to do. We would not feel the burden that we feel if we stepped out in God's confidence to do what he gave us to do. But we are busy at times. I I can't do that, Lord. I can't do that. I I don't have this and I don't have that and I don't look right and blah, 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 blah. And we're stressing about all of that, not doing our work, but sitting out on the corner watching to see who's passing by. You asked me to come and speak, right? I was in my house by myself. (laughs) Y'all asked me to come and speak. A godly woman can wait joyfully and in peace. A godly woman recognizes her prince when he comes. Her prince. Princesses marry princes. Princesses marry princes, sons of the king. Some of you are dating, running behind, lusting after some men who are not princes. Okay. Are you hearing me? There is no place for a princess with a man who is not a prince. And I don't mean somebody who goes to church. You asked me to come, you all want to talk about men, I'm here. (laughs) When the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, he means people who do not believe what you believe. It's not about what people do. It's about what they believe and live. Mrs. White says the shadows will never be lifted over the homes of people. And some of us who are yoked together with unbelievers, some of us who are worrying about submission would not need to be worrying about submission if we had married princes in the first place. There are people crying now and it's too late to fix what happened. Mm -hmm. And I sit with them in the office and we pray God's grace and God's goodness for what they're going through. But why would you want to start something like that? That's what I don't understand. I truly don't get it. It doesn't matter how long you've been waiting or how long you think you're going to wait. Princesses 
marry princes. And often, when they choose to do otherwise, they end up abdicating their position. Are you with me? That is probably one of the most severe mistakes that you can make at any point in your life is to take the woman that God created, the woman that God blessed, and link her in any way with someone who doesn't know him and doesn't want to serve him. I came across a passage in a book that was not talking about this, but I loved it. It said, do not touch, go near, kiss or in otherwise deal with frogs. And I like that. Because that's basically what God says. They are not going to turn into princes. A frog is going to be a frog. Leave it alone. Fundamental and basic. The Lord says, I see. Forget the fairy tale. Fairy tales are wonderful things. You know, they're lots of fun. Forget the fairy tale. It's not biblical. Okay. The average frog is going to remain a frog. Stick with the princes. But you know what? It needs to be your prince. The one that God gave you. Not the one that you went to get. And later I'm going to explain to you how problems with submission start with finding people who aren't princes and going after people you were not given. If you have the belief that God can do whatever he needs to do with whoever he needs to do it who submitted to him, then you can trust him. You know what the problem is? We don't really believe. We kind of believe. We want to believe. We believe part of the time about some of the things. Are you with me? You know, I can trust God for my job, and I can trust God for this, and, I can, and all of us have different areas. But then there's some that we have to do ourselves. Because, you know, God's not really on it. He doesn't really understand me. You see, he doesn't get that that kind of guy is not what I need. Because after all, doesn't God know that I need really good looking? I mean, I know he's godly, but Lord, I need really good looking. Be careful, lest the Lord allow you to get what he didn't give you. Because you'll pay. And he keeps warning us. And I don't understand why I have to keep giving this message over and over. Because we see it, and we see it with our friends. But we say, you know, it's not going to happen to me. Because, you know, there was this woman 20 years ago, and she married this guy, and he became a Christian. You think? And I don't say it will never happen. But, you know, um, most of us are not going to play with a bomb on the chance that this one won't explode. There's some bombs that don't explode when you light them. But would you light one and hold it, hoping that this would be it? God gave you intelligence and reason and his wisdom 
James 1.5, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men and women liberally and upbraideth not. Why aren't we asking him? Or why when we ask him and he says no, do we keep asking hoping he'll say yes? Ever done that? Well, Lord, I know you said he's not the one, but you know, he did go to church this Sabbath. (laughs) Still a frog. Still a frog. Okay? The Lord is better at revealing hearts than anybody. Sometimes he will not tell you why, but if he says no, believe him. Because we want it. When he says yes, we say, thank you, Lord. You're a wonderful God. We knew that you were our God and you would come through for us. But when he says no, he's no longer a wonderful God. He's no longer coming through for us. Is it possible that his no is him being the wonderful God coming through for us that we asked him to be? I look back at some of the men in my life. Lord knows that I feel very blessed. I have dated, I think, some of the most wonderful men. I could write them all letters of recommendation. But there are few... They're too old for you now anyway. Um, There are a few that I look at my life now, and I look at their life now, and I couldn't have seen it under any circumstances in any way. There was no indication. And when God said no, I honestly did not get it. And I accepted it only on faith, that he knew something that I didn't know that he was brighter than I was, that he was both God and good. I can see it now. Sometimes he he doesn't have to show us what he's doing. He's God. He don't have to tell you why. But we have to obey anyway. Princesses know that a princess without a prince is still a princess. Do you hear me? A princess without a prince is still a princess. She doesn't need to lower her standards. She doesn't need to change her commitments. If God does not send you a prince, lift your head up. My daddy is the king and I'm here. Some of us will not have princes. Some of us will not have princes for a season, and some of us will not have princes at all. I know. That hurt your heart, didn't it? That hurt your heart. But if I don't tell you, you might get deceived and marry a frog because you feel that you have to have a prince and this will do. I'm here to tell you something. I'm almost 50 years old. Good Lord. Getting old. But I've learned something interesting. The things that we thought we could not live with or could not live without, God has found a way. Some of us who were so sure that if we didn't have a man or we didn't have children, we would not survive. Let me tell you something. We survive and thrive. 
some of us, God has given work that requires that we not have the husband, the children. And we can spend our lives being bitter about it, or we can commit to the privilege that we have been given and get on with the business of doing what God gave us to do. And for every moment that you sit whining about it, a blessing is passing you by. There are things I would not have been able to do and been true to my calling if I had a husband and children. Because God is very clear about taking care of your husband and taking care of his children. So there's some things I could not do. Because when God calls, you have to understand what your primary calling is. And if your primary calling is to be a wife and mother, there's some things you will not be able to do. Understand that. And that's fine, because that's your calling. But not all of you are going to have that calling. You will need to embrace the calling you were given. Princesses without princes are still princesses. And they need to live like that, like daughters of the king, till God says differently. If he says differently when you're 20, okay, when you're 30, when you're 50, when you're 80, some of you it's going to be that long if the Lord doesn't come. Get over it now. Okay? And understand that your life will still be fulfilled. That's the thing they didn't tell me. They told me, you know, well, you could be single and you could praise the Lord. And nobody told me that I was going to be fine, I was going to be happy, and I was going to be fulfilled. And that there would be points in my life where that was a choice I had to make. To trust God for what he had chosen to do in my life. Princesses marry for the right reasons. What are some of the wrong reasons? Loneliness. Y'all are good. You hit the list both times today, right on the map. Yeah, children, we've got them here. Family and parents. Insecurity. Temptation. Oh, to change him, yeah. Oh, impatience. That too. Peer pressure. In what way? To build your identity in that person. Security, bio clock, <laughs> so you won't burn. <laughs> what is the solution to I'm getting married so I won't burn? If your sexuality is at this point that you have to marry someone God hasn't given you so that you won't burn, pray for deliverance from the sexual addiction.
Well, I got tired of being celibate, so I married him. I'm sorry, folk. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I'm here to tell you, you can be celibate a lot longer than you think. God's grace is sufficient. He gave us our sexuality. He gave us hearts for other people. And he gave us the ability by his grace to control it. I wasn't planning to say this, but I'm saying it anyway because you need to hear it, obviously. I was sitting in my office and a student came to see me this a couple years ago. And um, we had this prayerful crying session. Dr. Watson, you know, I've fallen into sin. You know, the Lord forgives. Da, 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 da. We talked about it, we prayed about it. She was contrite. Two or three weeks later, she was back in my office. You know, Dr. Watson, I didn't intend to, it wasn't my plan, but this happened. We prayed. The third time she came to my office, my question was, what was your plan for this not to happen? Some of us are not intentional enough about our purity. It is not going to happen by accident or by osmosis. You fall into sin by accident. You don't fall into purity. You plan for purity. Amen. Am I making sense to you? Or do I need to be more specific? Somebody asked me earlier about, what about when you're in relationships? Point number one, be careful who you choose. Point number two, don't run around all over the place making your choices. You know what I mean. Well, I was just dating all these people. If he's not a prince, why are you dating him? When I was in grad school and college, I, I don't date non-Adventists. Some of the most wonderful men I've met are non-Adventists. I don't date non-Adventists. You cannot be my prince. I don't date people who are questionable in how they serve the Lord. I know you're not my prince. Don't be running all over the place. Allow the Lord to send you what you need. And when he sends you that person, be prayerful about how you all interact. Be prayerful about where you go and make some plans. I was visiting with, I was going to a conference and I shared a taxi with a woman. Turned out to be one of the most fascinating women I've ever met. She was in another denomination. She was minister of something, like minister of music or something like this. And she said, in our denomination, we have for our leaders the rule of three. She said, a woman cannot be alone with a man who's not her husband without someone else there. And I thought, whoa, a little stringent here. And I thought I'd try it. I could do this. She's a single woman, I'm a single woman. I could do the rule of three. Do you have any idea how often you're alone with guys? I suspect a lot more often than you think. Okay. Do you have any idea how often you're alone with guys in situations that could be compromising? Are you even thinking about it? I don't know that I'm saying to you, everybody should have a rule of three. But I am saying to you, you need to be intentional. God is intentional about us. 
And he intends for us to be intentional about our obedience to him. You don't need to have, and I'm just going to be all up in your business. I've been single with an apartment. You don't need to have people up in your apartment all kind of times of the day and night. And you know these people about, well, I don't have him over at night. Since when was night the deciding factor? <laughs> you, know, you know, people say things to me that just don't make logical sense. What is your plan? Now, if you love somebody sooner or later, you're going to want to be close to them. What is your plan? I'm tired of hearing from God's women about accidents. What is your plan? Who are you talking to? One of the other things the young woman told me about the rule of three, she said when she started dating someone, and she was in her 30s at that time, she said she had an accountability partner. And every time she went out with this person, she had to call and report. Where did we go? What did we do? And had we kept our commitments? He had one too. How would your dating life change if you had an accountability partner that you had to call when you got home and explain before God where you had been, what you had done, and what you had said? Are you hearing me? Let the Holy Spirit lead you into how you can be intentional within your relationships about your obedience to Jesus Christ. You know what you're supposed to do. That's not usually the problem. That's not usually the issue. You know, if you need to cook him a meal, why does he have to be the only one there? He can't eat when someone else is there. <laughs> well, I, I want him to have this romantic dinner. Why do you want him to have a romantic dinner? Why can't he just have dinner? Are you hearing me? Because remember, we are programmed partially by our society, which programs dating for places you don't need to go. Princesses are countercultural in how they think, what they believe, and how they live. And that takes work. It doesn't take work to go with the flow. That takes work. Princesses don't marry for wrong reasons. Princesses marry for right reasons. And they are strong enough and confident enough to not confuse their role and their identity. They are strong enough to not confuse their role and their identity. Your role is the part you play. Your identity is who you are. Role and identity are not the same. That's why you're still a princess even if you don't marry because wife is a role. Mother is a role. Businesswoman is a role. You can have multiple roles, the roles can change, but your identity should not change. And the Bible says in marriage, your role as a wife is different from his role as a husband. And I had no problem with that. That was not an issue to me. So they started talking about submitting. And then life got real interesting in a hurry. I remember being a, I must have been 20, 19 or 20. 
and I was dating somebody who felt it was very important to explain to me that the Bible says that wives should submit to their husbands. I will not recount for you that conversation. It was not pretty. I didn't say anything rude. I was just very outspoken. I probably wouldn't say the same thing today because I understand some things better. When God sets up systems, he sets up systems because they work. When God says do it this way, it's because he understands how we work. And in Eden, and I don't know what I did with the thing to clean the board here, but in Eden, God set up a system of authority. And he did not set it up to subjugate women. How do we know that? They both were created in his likeness and, and it happened before the fall. The authority was set before the fall. You remember that? So obviously the intent was not to dominate and subjugate because we were talking about the little piece of heaven on earth. Why do you think God set up a system of authority in the very beginning? Because we can't both be the tiebreaker. You can't both be the tiebreaker. If you have two people who have equal ability to think, equal ability to make choices, and they discussing and going back and forth about a choice, and they don't agree, how do you decide what you're going to do? Someone's got to break the tie. Or else you're stumped forever. You can't move. And God says, you know what? In this relationship, I set the man as tiebreaker. Not as dominator, as tiebreaker. But there's another reason. What's the other reason that God gives for setting authority? Heaven? You want to talk about that a little more? I'm not sure who that was. The authority of God in heaven over his church. Exactly. He says, because I want you to model something that will help you understand me. And in that model, he says, the authority is authority because they're able to love. The authority has authority because they are able to love. Isn't that what the text says? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, respect, submit to your husbands. Respect is the attitude. Submission is the act. And I was struggling with this thing, and I'm struggling with this thing, because you know me, I got mouth and all this. And somebody said to me, You know what it is? It's first among equals. There's a phrase in Latin, primus inter pares, that says you can have people who are equal in identity, equal in worth, and one who has authority over the other, despite that equality. It doesn't take away from identity. 
And I think one of the things that the feminists struggled with was for them, submission changed identity. And you became somebody else. So the answer was, don't submit. So that you don't become less. But scripture does not say that submission makes us less. I had something happen recently, and lights went off in my head. As I told you, I'm at Oakwood. My boss at Oakwood is a former student of mine, and I told her I was going to share that. I taught her in graduate school years ago. I have been head of department many, many years longer than she has. I'm older than she is. I've had my degree longer than she has. Okay. So someone said to me, isn't that weird? Don't you feel funny? I mean, when she makes decisions and stuff, isn't that hard? No. I didn't think it was going to be, and it isn't. You know why? I respect her. I truly respect her. I think she's bright. I think she's capable. I think she's God-led. And I'm not having a problem with the decisions that she makes and the things that she asks me to do. I don't always agree. But it's not bothering me that I work for her. Some of us have a problem with the action because we have a problem with the attitude. We can't submit because we don't respect. In more cases than I can tell you, when I sit down with a woman and we're dealing with submitting to her husband and all of that, the real issue is she doesn't trust him, she doesn't respect him. So how can she submit to the decisions that he's making if she doesn't respect him? So we're back to square one. Princesses marry princes. Princesses marry men that they can already respect. Men who respect and obey God. So even if you don't like what he's saying, you can at least believe that he asked God about it and he's following God. Princesses marry princes who love them. Who want the best for them. See, I have no problem following somebody who wants the best for me and is working hard to get it for me. Because he's not going to make a decision that hurts me. And isn't that what we say about Christ? Christ loves us enough that even when we don't understand what he asks us to do, we believe he's not going to hurt us. You're looking for a man like Christ. See, most of you are in a really good position. You haven't married him yet. So you can pick a man that you can submit to. Because <laughs> some people are already in it and now they're trying to figure out how they're going to be submissive. Yeah. <laughs> Choose the right one. That's why I said wait on the Lord. Because he knows you. And I remind him all the time, Father, you know me. You know exactly how I am. He knows you. When you think about your role, there are some things that God has asked you to do that have nothing to do with whether you're married or single. And I want to talk just for a moment to those of us who are career women. Some of us don't have 
husbands and children, does that excuse us from anything that God has asked us to do? If the Lord tells you to take care of the poor, to feed people, to be hospitable, it isn't only for the people with husbands and children. I'm tired of meeting single women who are like, well, you know, I don't do domestic stuff. Well, you don't have to be domestic, but you do have to be hospitable. If you need to do it on paper plates, do it on paper plates. Just had a long conversation with a couple of women the other day. We were eating lunch somewhere, and the woman had done a beautiful lunch. I mean, china and, you know, chargers and all this stuff that I don't even know what you call. I mean, it was a beautiful table. I don't know how many dishes, okay? And those of us who are challenged in those areas <laughs> sat at the table and drooled. I ain't buying no chargers. I'm sorry, okay? I don't have chargers. I'm not sure what they're for. But we started talking, and the woman said, one of the women at the table said to me, you know, I don't have people over because I can't do this. The commissions in Scripture to obedience do not have to do with your strengths and affinities. We are all called to be obedient. So our thing was, yeah, you can have people over. Do it on paper plates. And she says, you know, that never occurred to me. Because we buy into other people's standards of obedience. If your gift is the ability to cook and do wonderful plates and tables, and stuff, do that. That's your gift. If the best you can do are some folding chairs, paper plates, and sandwiches, do that. Your identity is not in your ability to do it's in who you are. And princesses, by definition, are hospitable. They also keep clean houses and dorm rooms. You thought you were fine when I was on the houses, right? <laughs> you know? I said, they keep clean houses. And then I said, dorm rooms, and all the faces changed. What is your room going to tell me about your obedience? And I have to admit that I stand on my own toes every time I say that. The Lord is working with me because, you know, I'll come home. I'm tired. I'm like, Lord, I worked all day with your children. <laughs> and he finally had to say to me, and that does not give you an excuse not to clean your house. Understand that who we are are God's children, and that is reflected in the order of our lives. That is reflected in all that we do. Because if we're faithful in the quote-unquote little things, we will be able to see the other things. And when you're looking for these men, make sure that they are faithful in the little things. Which means that you cannot marry somebody that you've only dated by going places. And, you know, you go out to eat and you do this and this and this. You don't know what kind of decisions he makes. You don't know what kind of person he is, and so you get home and you lose all the respect that you had. Because brother can't clean anything, brother doesn't want to work. Wow. <laughs> you know, I know this is not the point of this session. Princes work. Yes. Amen. If he can't lead now, you are not going to want to follow him later. Mm -hmm. 
And some of us want to lead during the relationship. You know, we sit down and we strategize. I know that doesn't happen on this campus. So other places, women strategize about how they're going to get the man. And they manipulate, and they work, you know, and let's see, if I meet him here, and I act like it was accidental, and then I do this, and then... <laughs> Am I lying? People do that. After you have done all the work to get him, then you don't understand why he's not leading. Are you with me? Marry men who are following Christ, who you can respect, and submission will be a totally different issue. You will not be so busy trying to figure out how to submit because the attitude will already be there. Um, John Nixon did a sermon about submission, and he said something. I'm going to close this section with that. He said, you know, the problem with women is we don't understand men. And I agree. But he said something that I had been talking about with my brother for years, but it never registered that way. He said, women become more. They blossom when they're loved. And if you've ever been truly loved, you know that's true. You wake up more beautiful in the morning. Haven't done a thing. Just more beautiful already. Okay. You do things and can do things you never imagined doing. And he said, men blossom and grow when they are respected. When we give them our trust, when we believe in them enough to allow them to lead us, they grow and become more. But you know what tends to happen? We want them to be more, so we take over. Brother's not stepping up to the plate, so I got to do it. And so we step up and he becomes less. I am not advocating allowing people to stand on you and tread on you and beat you up. But again, some of that has to do with choices we make. Choose carefully. I am saying we know what we need and God has set up a system that we can get what we need and they can get what they need. Amen. And some of us have been fighting really hard against the system that God set up to work. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think you, know, you understand what I'm saying. Okay. We need to stop. There are more that I could say on this topic, but we need to stop. So in the next session, we're gonna talk a little bit about appearance and success. And I will give you my confidence circle, okay? My walking in God's confidence circle.